This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Most people are doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But if you take a moment to answer a few simple questions, we can identify what stage of growth you're at right now and recommend the best next steps for you. Now, that's an incredibly compelling promise, right? If you're a business owner, that's like very valuable. You're not selling a one-size-fits-all ebook that you're asking everybody to download. You're saying, I'm going to give you a personalized plan. Now, when you do that, a couple things happen. You ask those questions on your website. You gather all that incredibly valuable zero-party data. You can feed that data back to Facebook and say, hey, the people who answered my assessment like this, who are making at least $100,000 a month, who have at least 50 employees, who have these specific problems, yeah, find me more people like that. And Facebook can do that because you're feeding that information back. So that's the first part of the equation. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest. My brother, my main man, Ryan Levesque, is in the house. What's up, man? Darius, it's awesome to be here, man. We're looking forward to this conversation. Oh, you're officially the first person that's called me Dariush on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if you know how to pronounce your last name properly. I think we need to fact check that. Can we get the producers to fact check that, please? It's Smith. It's Smith. (laughs) The other white meat. No. (laughs) So uh, for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Mission, we're, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And I will tell you this, you know, Sometimes I have guests on the show where I don't know them that well, but I've gotten to know Ryan. We've gotten to spend a lot of time together. And man, is this guy full of greatness and you've done so many cool things. So I'm, I'm so proud to have you here. Do you mind if I give um, a little bit of our background to, to the listeners around how we know one another? Yeah, I think that's great. So it was a dark night. No, I'm just messing around. <laughs> no. Uh, so Ryan and I, um, you know, we have some mutual friends. So I actually knew of Ryan through a mutual friend of ours, Justin Donald from Lifestyle Investor. 
and uh, he he was a part of the really the launch you were have, like you were involved kind of behind the scenes helping Justin launch Lifestyle Investor and and so I had heard your name come up a lot and then uh, I ended up joining Tiger 21 and across the tables this dude with the ask method shirt on and I'm like who's that guy <laughs> and and I, I'll tell you this like uh, this is my favorite thing about Ryan like we both have kind of the similar sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> where uh, I, I'm trying to think of the technical word for it. We like to fuck with each other. Uh, <laughs> and the moment I caught that on him, I was like, man, I like this guy. And and since since then, we've gotten to know each other better, man. And it's it's been really cool to learn about you and all the amazing things that, you, that you've done and continue to do. And I'm really proud to have you as a friend and, and uh, as well as to share what you're doing with the world on this show. So thanks for being here, man. Yeah, no, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the only reason why I joined these groups like that you and I are part of is purely for that reason alone. Like there's no other value. It's just to screw around with the other people in the room. Like that's, that's kind of why I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to, to be part of these, uh, part of these communities. So yeah, you, you, you read that book. Um, you read me, uh, read me like a book. You know, it's funny what you said, uh, you just made me think like, and so, you know, I'll go into your, your formal background in a second, but you know, for you to say what you just said a moment ago is really interesting. And, and I think that a lot of people that are seeking to, to uh, like level up in their life, you know, I've kind of done the same thing, which I've spent, you know, right now it's 2022. I spent the last 16 years being in these different like learning groups, meeting people like you and, and, you know, people that are really doing cool things. And, you know, what is it? Your network is your net worth. And you end up to your point, like you go to these groups because you want to learn something technical, like whether how to, how to be a better entrepreneur, how to be a better investor. And then you end up like making these, these building these relationships with interesting people that have similar interests. And I, and I kind of like yourself, I'm like, man, I spent so much more money after I graduated college on education than I actually did when I was like, supposedly like, forced to go learn, right? So it's really interesting to hear, hear you to say that, especially since you're an Ivy League guy. Uh, you know, I know we, we grew up at a time where it wasn't like disgusting to like go to college. You know, it was it was still like fairly reasonable. But, right. you know, it, I, I do really believe that that, you know, learning is a lifelong endeavor. And, and you know, you're no you have no shortage of that. Um, do you mind if I give your formal bio and then we're going to jump in? I want to talk about all the stuff, the cool things that you're working on. right yeah, now. Yeah, sure, man. For sure. So uh, for those of you that don't know Ryan, and, and Ryan's kind of a known entity. It, it, I get to brag to a lot of people how, yeah, I know Ryan. He's my boy talk shit to each other all the time. But but you're the CEO of the Ask Method uh, company. Uh, you're an entrepreneur and you're number one bestselling author of the books Choose and Ask. Five-time Inc. 500 list entrepreneur. If you look to my left here, I got a little one of those plaques myself. So no slouch. Uh, over 250,000 entrepreneurs subscribe to his email newsletter offering business advice. And you've been featured in everything from Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, USA Today, and so many more uh, of these great and amazing uh, outlets, media outlets. Additionally, you're the co-founder and investor in Bucket.io, and uh, which is a leading quiz funnel software. And we're going to be talking about quiz funnels used by over 30 million people per year. So, man, dude, you're just uh, you're crushing it. You've been crushing it. You are crushing it, and. Um, I, I I really am impressed with the business you built because I'm kind of new to the world of digital, and and I came from the world of analog, mm. and and you know, dude, it is a fierce battle to mm. build a business, and you've built you know you've built over a ten million dollar business, right? In in the Ask Method company, that 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 that's 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 a big deal, man. Eight, an eight figure company in the digital world is is really hard to do. So I'd love to you know kind of take us back because I mean I know your backstory, but your backstory is super interesting and in how you became an entrepreneur. But do you mind kind of like taking us back to you know 
when you're living in on ramen in New York City and 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 made you know what were you doing that got you into what you're doing now? Yeah, um, well, that's awesome. Super appreciate that that warm introduction and uh, feeling feeling is totally mutual. You know, I, I'm uh, I, I feel uh, I feel really lucky to to class you as a friend and um, you know that's honored great. honored to be to be here and, and share your story. You're one of the good guys. Um, everyone listening to this and watching this knows that, but um, you know, just it doesn't hurt to to say it again. You know, so so my story. Uh, you know, I grew up working class. First of my family go to college, um, studied neuroscience and uh, Asian studies at Brown. And I thought I was, I thought I went to Brown. I chose Brown um, over some of the other places I was looking at because uh, Brown really at the time had the best neuroscience program in the country. And I thought I was going to study, become, you know, the next great neuroscientist. And my best friend at, um, at Brown actually went on to become a neurosurgeon at the Mayo Clinic. So my roommate, best friend. So he kind of did the whole path. Along the way, I kind of realized I was less interested in neuroscience, more fascinated with the brain and psychology and really how the you know, the brain operates in a, in a, in a real world setting. So I became really fascinated with things like the psychology of fear, the psychology of language acquisition, the psychology of the capital markets. And so um, after uh, college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go into medicine. So um, I got a job working on Wall Street and really became sort of fascinated and, in, in, um, you know, just the psychology of, of, of the markets. Um, at the same time, was really torn between that passion and this sort of other passion that I had for um, the Chinese language. I'd learned to speak, read and write Chinese nearly fluently. I'd lived in China for uh, some time while I was in college and really just had this dream that I wanted to live abroad. And uh, so working in, in New York, uh, my wife is in grad school and got a call one day from from. Um, um, my, my future boss who basically said, Hey, um, do you want to come to China? Um, I need to know like now. <laughs> um, and I said, yes. And I said, um, can you buy me a little bit of time? My wife and I weren't married at the time. And, uh, he said, well, if you want to bring your wife with you, you guys have to get married. There's no such thing as a fiance visa in, in China. Like you have to get married right away. So we had a, a shotgun wedding. We went, uh, went back to Brown where we met, um, got married on the courthouse steps of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And about, uh, seven days later, we were on an airplane, uh, living halfway across the world in China and, uh, spent the better part of five years, just, um, really, really kind of like a cool, you know, fun part of time of our lives, uh, traveling around Asia. My wife decided to get a PhD at HKU, Hong Kong University. So she was based in Hong Kong. I'm based in Shanghai. I'm traveling to places like India and Vietnam and Korea and Thailand and Malaysia, all across China, just like living this really cool life. And then in 2008, um, I walk into my office one day and uh, the Wall Street Journal Asia edition says um, AIG, which was the company that I was I was working for running, running our expansion across China, um, AIG to file for bankruptcy. Wow. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh, crap, like, what does that mean? Right. Um, and uh, the writing was on the walls. Right. This was 2008, middle of that financial crisis. And along the way, I kind of had this like, you know, quarter life personal crisis where I said, like, All right, I've achieved sort of everything I thought I wanted to achieve professionally at that point in my life. And I felt really empty inside. I'm like, is this it? Like, really? Like, this is it? Sort of like I saw my boss who was head of uh, China. And before that, he was head of um, Asia Pacific for AIG. And I saw like, that would be my life. Like if I just continued on the career path that I was on and I just kept doing the right things, saying the right things to the right people, like just building a career, that would be my life. And I thought to myself, like, I think I want more than that, right? And I, I know this is like what the show is all about. Like, I, I feel like there's something bigger inside of me that I can do something greater with my, with my, you know, precious time on this planet. I didn't know what that is, but I kind of took it as the sign from the universe to say, all right, I'm done. And literally that day without overthinking it, 
I drafted up a resignation letter, printed it up, signed it, walked it into my boss's office. And I said, I'm leaving two weeks notice. Wait, and you, you were in China when you did this? In China. And I had no plans. I had no other job. I had nothing. No way. Nothing. And the reason I gave my boss at the time was just a viable excuse. I said, listen, my wife and I, she's in Hong Kong. I'm in Shanghai. It's too hard for us to be like seeing each other on the weekends. Like we want to be together. Like it's just insanity what we're trying to do. So I just want to be with her and we're going to figure out what our next move is. And because she was in Hong Kong, I could, I could be with her as a, as a husband of a, of a student in Hong Kong. So I had the ability to do that. And so donated everything I owned to charity, except for Weka Fitness Suitcase, moved into student housing with my wife. We're in our like mid to late twenties at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like started over again and, uh, and then started our first business, wow. um, a tiny little 400 square foot apartment. What, yeah. what was your wife studying at, at, at Hong Kong university? She's studying history. So, so her background at Brown, she double majored at Brown in uh, architectural studies and art history. And then she did her master's at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian in decorative arts, which is part of Parsons School of Design, which I know you and I have had a conversation about that. And then um, the only English speaking sort of graduate level program in Asia is in Hong Kong. There may be one or two in Singapore now, but like, you know, China, Japan, Korea, it's all in the sort of native, you know, language, but you can pursue an English in, uh, in Hong Kong. So she pursued a PhD in history, studying the Manila galleon trade, the trade between the Philippines, Spain, and Mexico in uh, the colonial era, which is just a, you know, it's esoteric topic, but what yeah. she was passionate about. Um, so, so, yeah. so let me ask you a question. So do you speak, you speak pretty good Chinese then? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And how's your, does your wife speak Chinese? No, she doesn't speak at all. Yeah. She's oh. Mexican. So she moved, when I moved to China, like we got on an airplane and I had been like, I'd been multiple times. I, I lived there for about three or four months. Like I'd done multiple business trips there. She had never been literally, it was a leap of faith for her. Like, all right, I've never been, but like, I'm just going to, you know, I trust you, Ryan. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to move here for five years of my life. And I think what she got there is a little bit of shell shock. Cause like, it is very much like at the time, this was 2004, 2005. And that's way different. Yeah. It's a very different place. Um, you know, where are we like 18 years later than, uh, than it was, uh, no, eight years later, excuse me. Let me think about this. 18 years later, 18 years. Holy yeah, 18, no yeah. way. No yeah. way. <laughs> dude, listen, I, I went to the math in my head. That was like eight. That was crazy. 18 I, years ago. Dude, I, I went to China in, in 98 when I was 20 years old, which was 24 <laughs> years ago. And, and what the hell, man? Like, that can't what, be real. Like, I just did the math. I'm like, no, no, no. There's no way. I'm like, no, no. My son's like 10 years old. No, yeah. It was yeah. like almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Different world. Two years ago that I was first in China. Yeah. So the, re- the reason I asked was like my, some, uh, and I have a couple of uh, funny things to say about this. So my mom and my mom, who's American spoke Farsi and my dad spoke Farsi. So whenever the parents, our parents wanted to talk shit, they would just yeah. start talking, speaking in Farsi because the kids yeah. didn't know it. So I was like, Oh, do you and your wife get to like talk shit in, in Mandarin to each other? Like, no, when you- I'll tell you the local Chinese get, get freaked out when it's uh, this white guy, you know, when you, <laughs> someone cuts you in line, it's like, you go to this old lady, <laughs> and they're like, what the hell? Which is like, what the hell are you doing cutting me in line? You know, versus like they just, you know, step in front of you. It's this white guy that does this. No, that's that a stupid human trick. Just fool the Chinese over the phone, have a phone conversation with someone, be like, yeah, yeah, we'll meet on the side of the road. And then like they're looking around for like, be like yeah, I'll, I'll be in a red shirt, you know? And they're looking around, they're looking for like the Chinese guy in the red shirt and like, where are you? Where are you? It's like, oh, that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> so, my, my, so you, you, you know my wife. My wife, who's like very fair skinned, is half Mexican. So she didn't right. look it though, but she speaks like perfect Spanish. I know, I know. And, and I mean, perfect with like perfect accent. And she did. I watch her mind fuck people all the time because <laughs> they're like, "Why is this white woman like?" It, you know, it doesn't it doesn't add up. And so it's funny as Jordan Harbinger was on this show, and he speaks fluent Chinese, mm. and he and he literally said the same thing that you just said that he like <laughs> loves like going to restaurants and fucking with people and like speaking. The Chinese because they don't expect it from them, you know. It's, to- it's totally unexpected, you know. It's um, yeah, and uh, I feel like there are a lot more people now that um that that have studied Mandarin and can speak Mandarin. But you know, when I first studied, whenever it was twenty something years ago, you know, it, for many locals, it was the first time they that they'd ever see a Bairen, like a white skinned person, a light skinned person who could speak Mandarin. And for them, it was just like you know, they they just couldn't get their mind. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, so you said, so you, so you did, you put, you did, you pulled the classic entrepreneur move. You're like, I'm out. I'm starting my own. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not going to be that guy. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, and I I don't want to, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because I think it's, you know, for some people, it's absolutely the right path. But for me in my heart, like I realized, like I'm a creator. Like, that's what I love. You know, like for me, I love creating things. Like I just love inventing things. I just love creating things. And I just felt like I was a racehorse with the brakes on. And it didn't matter what I was doing. It just felt like I had so much more that I could give so much more. And, and I, and I, in my first book, it's embarrassing to read it now, but my first book, I, I published at the insistence of my editor, a letter, a personal private letter that I wrote to my mom that I'd never shared with anybody else in the world ever. And in a conversation with my editor, I I just had this conversation and I said, yeah, I wrote this letter to my mom when I was at like the kind of the deepest, darkest depths of kind of where I was at. And I just felt like I had to pour everything out and I had to just share it with somebody. And I thought, you know, my mom was the only person that would actually, you know, you know, give a shit and actually read it. And I told her, she's like, I need to see the letter. And I was like, I've never shared this with anybody. I don't even know if I have it anymore. Like I, you know, like I don't have a physical copy. I like, you know, it was a Word doc and an email. And I found the email that I had sent to my mom. And this was like, you know, 10 years after I'd written it. And the, what I wrote in that letter is I said, you know, I feel like as a child and as a young adult, I had this fire inside of me. And that fire every year was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, where I was in my mid twenties, when I had this sort of quarter life crisis, I felt like it was, you know, when you watch the fire in the fireplace and there's just like that one last ember, just that one last sort of ember. And I said, like, that's where I feel like where I am right now. And if I don't do something now, that fire is going to be out forever. And it was in that moment that I kind of realized that I was going to start making moves and start exploring different opportunities. And that's kind of where we started exploring building and, 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 you know, a digital business. You know, we had certain constraints that we wanted to work around. We wanted a business that would allow us to travel. It was location independent. We could live and move anywhere in the world. Um, we didn't want to have at that time, like a physical presence or location. We didn't want to have an office and we didn't want to have, you know, like a, a factory or a manufacturing facility or anything like that. We wanted a sort of new economy style business. And we, because we started it in Hong Kong, it almost sort of was a global business by sort of necessity. And, um, you know, the first business that we went into, the first market was like a totally random thing. It's going to sound so random, but it was actually a thing. It was the Scrabble tile jewelry market, um, which is like <laughs> making jewelry using Scrabble tiles and origami paper. And my wife was the one who like stumbled upon this thing. It was like this craze back in 2007, 2008, sort of like Beanie Babies. Like it just kind of like took okay. over. 
And she's like, I think we can make a business around it. It's like we have access to all this origami paper in Asia. We have access to inexpensive labor in southern China. We can manufacture this jewelry. We can you know, import it into the United States and we can do really, really well. And we kind of and I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. Like it's going to tie us here. Like I don't want to live in, in you know, Guangdong province. I want to be able to just travel the world. So we shut the door on that idea. And then a few weeks later, she came back and she said, that Scrabble tile thing is like taking over. And she said, take a look at this woman, what she's doing. And uh, she'd come across this website that was a brand new website at the time. It's a huge website now. Uh, we all know it. It's called Etsy.com. But at the time, Etsy was like a startup. It was just a nothing wow. you know, business. But my wife is always kind of like ahead of the curve on, on these things. And so she found this website. She's like, look, this woman, she's not selling the jewelry on her, wet, on her Etsy store. She's selling tutorials on how to make the jewelry. And the cool thing about Etsy, like eBay, is you can see a seller's sales history. So you can see that she was make she was selling something like twenty five to thirty uh, uh, copies a day of this like forty dollar tutorial, and like I did the math and I'm like, holy smokes, this woman is making like a thousand dollars a day selling ebooks, teaching people how to make this this jewelry, and so we bought the tutorial and it was like literally a word doc. Like it wasn't even a PDF. It was literally yeah. a Word doc. And my wife's like, this is garbage. I can do a better job. And so Tylene learned how to make the jewelry and she created a better tutorial on how to make it. We started selling it. Before we know it, like we're making, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month teaching people how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we're gonna get rich. Like where the trajectory was like, you know, this is amazing. Like how how hard could it be? Um, and then I learned the hard lesson that um, there are evergreen markets and there are fad markets. And that was totally a fad. And quite literally, like within a month, the sales dropped down to zero. The market was saturated. It was like, you know, Pokemon Go or Beanie Babies, like these things like take off and then they right. drop the side of a cliff. So it went to nothing. And then at this point, we kind of were in a little bit of trouble because we started running out of money. And we're living in Hong Kong, one of the most expensive cities in the in the world. And um, we said, all right, what are we going to do now? And uh, my wife said, let me finish the program and then we'll move back to the States. And she got a job in Brownsville, Texas. And have you ever been to Brownsville? Have you been down there? Is that near, um, what's it called? Uh, where are they at? South, South Padre South Island? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. The, it's the southernmost major city in Texas, right Mexico. across the Mexico border. Yeah. Uh, from a major million plus person Mexican city called Matamoros. Um, and it's a major trade route. Um, but it is quite literally um, the poorest zip code in the contiguous United States. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite literally like, you know, dirt floors and houses, homes with no electricity. Um, you know, the closest Barnes and Noble is like 400 miles away. Like it's just. Wow. My, son would, be, my miles son miles. would be so sad. What, yeah. <laughs> what, so, what? so she moved there and she gets a job as the museum curator at the Brownsville uh, Historical okay. Association, which is a, it's a really important historical presence because a lot of the trade and battles fought between the United States and Mexico took place there. So there's, there's a lot of historic importance of, of it, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult place. If you didn't grow up there, it's a difficult place to, to, to live. So, so we moved there and immediately we started over. We had an apartment with bars on the windows, mattresses, mattress on the floor. We opened up a bank account. We had no furniture. And so the bank, <clears throat> when you open up the bank account gave, you know, those like chairs that you sit in on the side of a soccer game. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know so they're like, well, this is the gift for opening up the account. And my wife, who's like a really good negotiator, she's like, we need two. <laughs> yes. And they're like, deal. That was our living room furniture. We literally wow. had two of those chairs. We'd eat with plates on our laps, a mattress on the floor. And I had a laptop that I bought from Best Buy online for $425. And that's how we started our first business. And, you know, the Scrabble thing went to nothing. 
We went into another market, um, the orchid care market. Again, I know it sounds random, but the story there is I bought a bunch of orchids for Tylene when we lived in China. And like two weeks later, they all died. And so when I was kind of making a list of like all the different business ideas, I thought, well, I, I can't be the only idiot that like can't keep these things alive. So we started researching the market, realizing that it was there was some promise there. Um, we wrote a book on the topic that sold over 100,000 copies. Um, again, we knew nothing about orchids. We were just students. Like we're just learners helping other learners, right? right like right. on this journey and doing the research and then helping people. And what I realized in that moment is that it's far more valuable to become an expert in orchid growers than it is to become an expert in orchids. And that's kind of been a theme in every mm. market that we've gone into, that we've become specialists and experts in the market itself, not about the subject. And what we realized that it wasn't about using technical jargon or having PhD level knowledge on the topic. It was understanding the pains and the challenges and the frustrations that people run through and being able to communicate back to them in a language that resonates with them, where they can have that reaction like, oh my gosh, it's like, you know exactly what's going on in my life. Like, how do you know this so much? And so that kind of became a theme. And we grew that business to from nothing to $25,000 a month within a, within a few months, over a million dollars a year within a few years. And we went into wow. just all sorts of different markets. We went into the, the, uh, the memory market, uh, which was to make my parents happy using my like neuroscience background and doing something with the, my college degree to fish oil supplements, to golf and tennis. And, and we went into 23 different markets, um, all sorts of different niches using what's now come to be known as the ask method process. And um, along the way, partnered with a few big businesses to implement this in much bigger companies. That led to um, a few different exits, one of which was a, a, a nine-figure exit to NBC um, in the golf market. Um, another one was a, was a nine-figure exit to PayPal in the business funding market. And, and kind of what we developed was this methodology that's come to be known as um, an ask method quiz funnel whereby when someone lands on your website, you begin by asking a series of questions in a very intentional and specific way so that you can customize the messaging and the content and the marketing that you present to somebody hmm. um, based on their answers. And, um, you know, using this sort of methodology that we first, you know, learned how to implement ourselves and then partnered with dozens of big companies, we've since built that, you mentioned, five-time Inc. 5000 education company, the Ask Method company, where we teach this all day, every day, and a technology company called Bucket, where we've had over 12,000 of these quiz funnels now built on our technology platform. Nice. Um, so you know, we kind of started um, in a bootstrap way. We didn't raise money. We funded everything ourselves. So this is a, definitely a bootstrap story. Um, we had our ramen noodle, noodle and bologna sandwich days, You know, mattress on the floor, Brownsville, Texas, bars on the windows. I'd drive my wife to work, one car. We'd work at nights. We'd go to the post office and drop off our books that we had sold that day. We'd sell hundreds of books a day, literally crates of boxes, dropping it off at the Brownsville post office to ship them around the world. That was our early start. And since then, we built a company that is approaching 100 employees. Um, it is a global distributed team, meaning that we don't have a physical office. We, we built the business intentionally so we can travel the world and do whatever we want. Um, we've got team members quite literally in every continent except for Antarctica who are on the team right now. And, um, you know, just very excited about the future and um, kind of what comes next. Oh, man, I love that story. Hey, gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands 
on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your businesses. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled out my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training, and what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my Scale My Method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius, Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix, they simplify, and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time-consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. I have a question for you. Um, well, I have two questions. My first question is going back to when you started working with the, these brands. When you said nine figure exit, was that the client, or, or you, or you guys were part of that? Tell me. Yeah. So, so the way that I my model at that point was a um, it was a three part model, and it was a model where I would get paid an upfront fee for designing, constructing, architecting one of these sort of marketing you know, apparatuses, one of these marketing, um, uh, machines. Um, and I would pay, get paid a, a monthly retainer and I would have a success participation fee, which most typically was a five, 5% gross revenue, uh, royalty on all revenue generated. Every single one of those deals that I did also had an exit clause, um, a separation clause. So that way in the event of an exit, in the event of a sale, um, I would get paid a multiple of what that royalty was um, based on a, a number of months and the sort of average revenue generated over a sort of most recent six month period. Um, so on those exits, I got a nice little payout. It wasn't you know tens of millions of dollars, but it was an, it was a nice um, payout. And the royalty payments, this model became very lucrative. I called it a fifty five five model. I'd get paid fifty thousand dollars upfront to start the project. $5,000 a month retainer, which was literally for a, a, a monthly call. So it was really a $5,000 an hour rate is really what I kind of you know worked my way into. So it was a one hour call for $5,000 an hour. Um, and then the thing that I was really interested in was the 5% royalty. 
And I'd have royalty payments on some of these projects that would be small, you know, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. But I had 20, 25 businesses that I was working with at any given time. So the numbers added up. But my highest royalty payments were forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month on a wow. single funnel. So, you know, just like a music artist or a, a musician or a you know, an actor, actress, I wanted a way that I could get paid a residual income based on the work that that I was doing at that time. And even to this day, in some cases, 10 years after building these funnels, I still get the mailbox money. I still get the the royalty payments, you know, just automatically deposited um, every single month. So I say that because there's a huge opportunity for people to use this model. So if you don't have a, a desire to like build your own big company, like you want to be a one man band and you want to make a million dollars a year, I was making over a million dollars a year with no employees doing this one thing. Wow. And it can be very lucrative for anybody who wants to do that. And it's one of the things that we teach people how to do, in fact, is how to use this model, building a quiz funnel for other businesses and use it to build your own business where you're getting paid these royalties, these this revenue share on the back end without having to build out your own infrastructure and sort of product mix. So, so I know you guys work with a lot of like digital entrepreneurs. So I want, uh, do you mind if we use my current project as a case study? Just yeah, so we, absolutely. Let's do I, it. I, I'd love to, to, to do this really quickly. So uh, for listeners know that I have the scale map method and we do a boot camp. And by the way, I bounced all this stuff off Ryan for like months and months. So he's given yeah. me tons of great input on how to build this, this entrepreneurial like ecosystem. And so we do a boot camp, and then, and then from that, there's opportunities to work with us in other ways, right? What I found though is, and, and this is just, maybe this is an objection you might hear sometimes, is there's so much noise. And you got the Facebook algorithms broken, you know, because of all this, the, the thing that happened on the iOS 14, you know, there's so much competition in the digital space right now. And I'm seeing right now that's like, man, my cost per client acquisition is like, not, it doesn't even work sometimes, right? So we're, we're having to go and play with it a lot. So if you're in my shoes where you're like buying Facebook ads, trying to, you know, trying out these different messaging to clients to see what resonates to get them to take action to work with us, mm. how would someone like us use an, like the ask method or a quiz funnel to optimize or to make our to make the business a better business? Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so I know we spent a lot of time on so the story, how we got to where we are here today. Uh, I'm going to sh- switch gears and I'm going to geek out a little bit and, and talk sort of technically and, and tactically, actually, how you put this into practice. So first things first, iOS 14.5, 2021, Apple made the decision to no longer allow third party cookies on its operating system and basically overnight cut Facebook off at the knees. Facebook for years had relied on all of the third party data shared by every website on the planet who has the Facebook pixel installed on their website, feed that data back to Facebook to give you a rich data profile that you can target very, very accurately ideal customers to your website. Well, fast forward here to today, um, we're a year plus after that decision. And Facebook is a shell of what it once was. Shell yeah. And in order to succeed in this new paradigm, what, what, what many people are calling the third iteration of the internet, this sort of web 3.0, this new era of the internet, where we've moved away from reliance on third-party data to having your own first and zero-party data strategy. What does that mean? Third-party data, other people's data that you're using to inform your advertising. First-party data is data that you track in the background via like Google Analytics of how people browse on your website, but it's not explicit and it's not volunteered information. It's sort of sort of tracking in the background. Zero-party data is a strategy where you're relying on information that's being explicitly and voluntarily shared with you on your website when people visit i.e. asking them questions when they land on your website and building your strategy around the answers people give you. That is the most reliable data. 
It is the most uh, accurate form of information. And when you do it well and do it right, and you have the right technology installed on your website, you can then feed that information back to Facebook via something called the conversion API. And when you do that, Facebook can say, ah, so all those people who landed on your website and answered this assessment in the following way, we can find you more people like that because oh. you've explicitly shared that information back with Facebook. Now, I won't get too technical about browser side and server side, how you set all this up, but this is one of the reasons why this Ask Method Quiz Funnel strategy is, number one, we've been, I think in many ways, what our clients have been doing has been ahead of the curve, almost waiting for this very moment in time. Our businesses and the businesses that are on our platform are crushing it right now. Because for everybody else, if you're not using the conversion API, Facebook has actually said that your advertising costs, expect them to be three to four times higher than what they were prior to the iOS 14. They've come out and said it, like they're not hiding from this fact. And so what it means is that if you want to play in this new game, it's like the rules have changed, right? You know, this is, we we went from two-hand touch football to tackle football. And so if you don't want to play tackle football, get off the field, close your business down, stop advertising online. But if you want to play this new game, where the rules have changed, you must have a zero-party data strategy. So for your business, for example, what I would advocate very strongly is that your top-of-funnel strategy is you're driving ads to some form of an assessment. This assessment could be something along the lines of, you know, what's your company's culture score? Or what's your company's growth level? There are five stages of growth that every company goes through. And based on your business and where you are right now, that's going to dictate the next moves that you should make over the next three to six months. Most people are doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But if you take a moment to answer a few simple questions, we can identify what stage of growth you're at right now and recommend the best next steps for you. Now, that's an incredibly compelling promise, right? If you're a business owner, that's like very valuable. You're not selling a one-size-fits-all ebook that you're asking everybody to download. You're saying, I'm going to give you a personalized plan. Now, when you do that, a couple things happen. You ask those questions on your website. You gather all that incredibly valuable zero-party data. You can feed that data back to Facebook and say, hey, the people who answered my assessment like this who are making at least $100,000 a month, who have at least 50 employees, who have these specific problems, yeah, find me more people like that. And Facebook can do that because you're feeding that information back. So that's the first part of the equation. Next part of the equation, let's say the next step after that assessment is for maybe to invite a certain segment of those people to get on the phone with you or your sales team, right? Well, you might not want to get invite everybody to get on the phone, You might want to triage those leads. This strategy also enables you to do real-time lead scoring. So you can funnel all the best quality leads based on the answers to that assessment right to a phone call invitation, maybe middle quality leads to like a webinar, like an educational informational piece. And then the low quality leads, maybe just add them to your email list in a nurture sequence. Maybe they're not ready to buy right now. Maybe they're not big enough. Maybe they don't have the problems that you can actually help people solve. So then you get on the phone with someone. How much more effective is it to have 15 data points about someone that you can have an intelligent conversation instead of wasting that first phone call with, tell me a little bit about your business. Right. That first step. So it gives you so much leverage. Now I could go so much deeper than this, but that's kind of like the practical use case. But the other net effect is number one, you can cut your advertising costs. I know this is going to be a bold statement when I say this, but we have a ton of data on this to back this up by anywhere from 30 to 90% on your lead acquisition. Wow. So in other words, if you're spending $5 a lead, imagine spending less than a dollar per lead. This is, these are real numbers. And there's a lot of layers to why that's true. Part of it is the data conversation that we just had. Part of it is the fact that when you have an engaging, interactive piece of content like this, 
people will share their results. They'll say, oh, I'm, sca- I'm stage three. I'm stage four. You're stage four, really? And there'll be discussions on social media about this. When you do that, Facebook, for example, will reward you as a marketer. They'll expand your reach because your stuff is getting so much engagement. They'll expand the reach of your organic content. If you're a paid advertiser, they'll drop down your CPM, your cost per thousand to advertise because you are getting so much more engagement, so many more comments, likes, shares on the platform. And every platform is the same. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, it doesn't matter what platform you're using. They're all... They all operate in the same way. So you drive down your advertising costs by 30 to 90%. But then on the flip side, you're able to double to triple your sales conversion. Why is that? Because instead of communicating with everybody in a one-size-fits-all way, you can customize your content, your copy. You can customize your messaging based on what someone answers in the quiz. So you can show like a relevant case study, for example. Like if you know enough about someone, you could pick from your existing clients and past clients, the perfect client case study to put in front of someone based on their specific circumstances. In the same way that if you said, hey, Ryan, like, tell me about, um, tell me about an example of a quiz. In my mental Rolodex, I have probably two to 300 quizzes that I can think of right now. But if you say, tell me an example of someone who is in the financial space who used a quiz to get more clients. Ah, I can think of Jordan. Jordan is a financial planner. He's in Chicago. He uses a quiz funnel to identify how ready are you for retirement? Take this quiz to find out what your biggest, what your retirement readiness score is. So he helps people identify how ready they are for retirement. Based on that information, he gets on the phone with them and uses that assessment as the discussion point for what the game plan is to work with that client. So you can see like if you're a financial planner listening to this right now, you're like, oh my gosh, the light bulb has clicked. If you're an e-commerce seller and you're like, wait, what about my business? I sell like, you know, physical iPhone cases to people. How do I use a quiz for me? You're not connecting as much. So that's just a perfect example of how you can use a quiz funnel as an automated conversation that you would otherwise have one-on-one with people in the real world. You can have that same conversation. Like if, if I said, hey, you know, Darius, I hear you help businesses. I've got a business. Like, what should I do? You're not going to say like, oh, you should do this. You're going to begin by doing what? Ask me questions. Yeah. So whatever that conversation you would have one-on-one with someone, imagine your website being able to have that conversation with a thousand people a day, 24-7, 365 days a year on autopilot. That's what this strategy is. And this is these are some of the reasons why it's so powerful. Wow. So iOS update is a bit was man, you just I, I I'm so pissed we're out of time. <laughs> I want to talk to you some more. Like you just blew my mind, man. I was going to, well, look, give me the quick and dirty here. You're a certified AFOL adult fan of Lego. I, I, by the way, I hung out with Victoria LeBalm and I know that she worked with you on this and you're in her book. Can you just tell our audience what that means? And then, and then I know you got to run. Yeah. So, um, you know, huge Lego fan when I was a kid, right? Loved love Lego. Like we called it, I was a Lego maniac is what they called it in the eighties. I was a super fan of Lego, but we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So I got one Lego set a year for my birthday. That was like my big annual gift was a Lego set. And I cherished that Lego set. It was like the best thing that happened to me all year. So fast forward when I became an adult and my kids were, I have two boys, um, when they're sort of of age, I finally said, all right, I've got money now. What am I going to spend this money on? And of course, you know, it's Lego. So I don't know, we have hundred plus Lego sets in our house, you know, constructed um, major, major sets. And so some of my favorite time uh, spent with our boys has been building, you know, the Harry Potter castle, almost 7,000, you know, piece uh, set took us months to build that thing together when they were just, um, 
you know, um, a few years old. They weren't there, weren't that old. So adult fan of Lego. There's K foles, kids fan, kid fans of Lego, A foles, adult fans of Lego. And I'll tell you, one of the highlights of my career was keynoting the single largest Lego convention in the United States, Brickfest Live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, there were over 50,000 people who attended that, that, that event. And I was able to tell my story of how, as a kid, super fan of Lego, I was a fan of Lego, like all the way through, even as a teenager. And I remember at that time, I had to hide it, like at a time where like, it was not cool, like it was no longer cool, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, like I'm still, I had Lego underneath my bed and I couldn't tell anybody about it. I couldn't even tell my parents. I was so embarrassed because I'm like, why am I into this? Like, I'm just so into this. And I told this story and I can't tell you how many parents came up to me and said, thank you for sharing this. Because it was really an opportunity to be vulnerable and really share kind of, you know, what was really passionate about myself. And, and, and the story there, the takeaway is that we all have these things about ourselves that we hide from the world, that we're afraid to put out there, that we think, ah, this is really weird. Like, this isn't cool. Like, this is whatever. And the message that I shared was that thing that you're hiding right now could be the thing that transforms your career, transforms your life, and allows you to live that authentic, great story, your true greatness by putting it out there. And it was the first time I'd ever told that story. And I shared it to 50,000 people who were at BrickFest Live. And it was one of the most transformational experiences of my life. So adult fan of Lego. I'm a super fan. And if you want to come to my house and um, build some Lego, you're, you're welcome to do so anytime. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Um, and so I know, I know you got to run and, yes. and I want to keep you on time. Yeah. Um, why don't we, um, I know that we want to, you, you, you so graciously have offered do you know give our listeners a little something something from yes. from from you guys? So would you mind uh, maybe how can they hook up with you if they want to learn more? What, what's the hookup that our, our listeners are getting? And uh, got a hookup. Uh, we absolutely we have a hookup. So listen, you know if you're watching this right now or listening to this, uh, your timing is is perfect. And here's the reason why: if you have any interest, curiosity on how to set up one of these quiz funnels in your business, once a year we do a, a week long quiz funnel workshop. And we go through the process step-by-step. Step. We work with you to come up with um, what your topic is going to be, what uh, your questions are going to be in your quiz, um, how to come up with a compelling hook, um, how to create a quiz funnel that goes viral that people actually share with other people. Um, if you're like me and you're a visual person and you like to actually see examples, like real examples of what this looks like in the real world, we go through dozens of different examples. Now, it's, it's a big thing. We do it once a year. Um, uh, it's normally $100 to attend. So it's a $100 ticket price to attend the this sort of week-long live training. Um, but Darius and I are, are good buds and we want to do something special. So if, if you go to the link quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness for the greatness machine, quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness, and you use the coupon code greatness, just as it's spelled, it will take that ticket price down from $100 to zero. So it'll be 100% free. I just ask that you don't share the coupon code. <laughs> it's just for listeners here. Um, but really, this is the best next step. If you're thinking about this and saying, hey, I might be able to use this in my business, or if you're just curious and you want to learn more, this would be the best next step to, to kind of dip your toe in the water, see how to actually use this and um, implement it in your business. Man, you're such a stud. I appreciate you so much. What a pleasure having you on the show. I learned so much. I can't wait to pick your brain some more when we hang out next. Thank you so much for hooking up our listeners with all this amazing content and uh, amazing knowledge. And uh, man, appreciate you. Appreciate you too, man. It's been an honor, pleasure, and uh, absolutely. I'm excited to jam more about your business and uh, everyone here to um, work with you, hopefully, in uh, the workshop right around the corner.
Yeah, you guys, uh, you heard it here first. Quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness. Coupon code greatness. Don't share it. This is Ryan hooking us up. And um, we'll see you guys later. Peace out. Love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine. And that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.